Hi there, everyone. This is Dr. Ginger Nash, and today we'll be mapping lymph on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Ginger Nash. Dr. Nash is a naturopathic physician and in her 20 plus years of clinical practice has worked with thousands of patients addressing lymphatic health in connection with hormone imbalances, digestive disorders, and the long-term effects of infections. Complex homeopathy, herbal medicine, and nutrigenomics are the therapeutic cornerstones of her practice and attention is always given to lymphatic health. Dr. Nash is a sought-after teacher and speaker and in 2018 launched an online community for women called Feminology, which interweaves the scientific knowledge behind natural medicine and the art of helping women heal. Hello, Dr. Nash. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Awesome. Great to be here. Thank you so much, Andrea. I have to confess that I'm really excited to talk about the lymphatic system with you today. The lymph has such an important role in the body, a role that's too often overlooked, but I know you don't. And it has such an interesting history. I'm curious, Dr. Nash, if you can kick us off by explaining what the lymph is and how we came to know about its role in human physiology. Great question. Yeah, definitely overlooked by a lot of different medical professionals. And there's no real sort of blood test to measure what's going on with your lymph. And we can talk more about that later. But just for like lymph 101, the lymphatic system is a separate, you know, circulatory system throughout the entire body. And our lymphatics extend even into our brain where they're called the glymphatics because they drain and eliminate waste products from the glial cells of the brain. There are associated tissues around the body, and so that's why the lymph is such a perfect topic for looking at the body as a, you know, a whole organism and as a systemic issue. So we've got the lymph nodes, of course, that are these little sponges along the delicate vessels of the lymphatic channels, which we can definitely talk more about. We've got the thymus gland, the tonsils, the galt and the malt, which is the gut-associated lymphoid tissue and the mucosal-associated lymphoid tissue and the Peyer's patches, and then the very important spleen and bone marrow. So those are some of the tissues around the body. Um, And basically, the simplest definition of the lymphatic system is it's a waste management system extraordinaire. It really does affect pretty much every system in the body, and it penetrates into 
what I refer to as the extracellular matrix. And that's sort of the ground regulating aspect of our body, sometimes referred to as the mesenchyme, a lot of these strange Mm -hmm. terms. But mesenchyme is basically this primordial embryonic tissue that develops into all the connective tissue throughout the entire body, including the blood and the lymph. And so that's why I'm always addressing lymphatic health with people because this is where you can really get into the systemic type of transformation when aspects of the extracellular matrix and the lymphatic and the circulatory systems are cleared out. And then we help them return to an ability to self-regulate. And so this is why the lymph actually integrates with the nervous system along with other systems in the body too, which we can get to. Yeah. So curious. I mean, I think it's really incredible that it's overlooked so much because it's interacting with so many systems in the body and its connection to the immune system and how it's eliminating that waste. Can you talk a little bit more into that connection right there between the immune system and the lymphatic system? Absolutely. So the lymph system, you know, as I mentioned, have these nodes, which are basically little immunological meeting places where T cells and B cells and and dendritic cells and also some macrophages and plasma cells congregate. And it's created by this network of something called fibroblastic reticular cells and the lymphatics infiltrate it. So what happens is antigens and antigen presenting cells are funneled into these lymph nodes and they're funneled toward antigen-specific lymphocytes to maximize, you know, the chances of our immune cells creating proper antibodies to antigens. The lymphatic system is how all of our immune cells and immunoglobulins move around our body, which, as we know, has been a subject of much discussion in the last two years. Um, So put a little bit more simply, when antigens meet B cells or T cells bearing receptors with sufficient affinity, this adaptive immune response begins. And the little sponges, the nodes, they can clean damaged cells out of the body. They can even clean precancerous cells and sometimes even kill cancer cells. And I think we have to ask ourselves the question if we would have a lot of these common cancers without a failure or an overwhelm of the lymphatic system. I mean, some cancers are obviously genetically stimulated, even, you know, they're sort of lurking there from the time you're born even, but a lot of cancers relate to toxicity and relate to chronic inflammation, as we know, and certainly the lymphatic system plays a role in that. And that's why the minute you are evaluated for cancer, your lymphatic system is checked out to see if cancer cells are on the move through that Yeah, such a good point. And even with the genetic predisposition, if we had well-functioning lymph, who knows if we're mitigating the risk, which leads me to my next question, which is around kind of the central part of the matrix. And Dr. Nash, when the lymphatic system is working, we're likely not thinking about it, but what happens or what can happen when it's not doing its job, so to speak, to the best of its ability? Yeah, great question. So I know your focus has always been gut health and digestive issues, and the lymphatic system really starts in the gut as lacteals Mm -hmm. that line the intestinal tract, and they absorb both nutrients and toxins, mostly fats and proteins. So if the intestinal skin becomes irritated and how many people have GI problems, 
the lymph around the gut called the gall, the gut associated lymphoid tissue can be congested. And so, you know, you can get a backup of lymphatic flow in the whole body, even starting from the gut. And there's a condition called mesenteric lymphadenitis, which it's not very commonly known because it probably doesn't get diagnosed very, you know, commonly. It's not something people are necessarily looking out for. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, you're going to get things like indigestion, gut discomfort, chronic nausea, you know, food sensitivities can even be related to this hyperstimulation of the gut and the immune system in, in that way. And then you're going to really cause this backlog because one of the major important things about the lymphatic system, which I probably should have said at the outset, is that there's no central pump like the heart for moving the blood. So the lymphatic system requires a contraction of muscle tissue around it. It does have some very subtle intrinsic contractions, but really we need the action of muscle tissue yeah. to propel the lymph along. And that includes, as you know, in terms of the gut health, the peristaltic action of the gut. Right. So, you know, you can have digestive issues, you can have really kind of issues all over systemically. I mean, I see a lot of women, I do a lot of women's health, and I see a lot of patients and that are, you know, have edemas and swelling, and that can be pitting edemas in the ankles and the groin, or it can be puffiness in the face around the eyes, it can be chronic sore throats or tonsils, I mean, it's amazing how often when I palpate people, I find that the lymph is very clogged in different areas of the body. So you can get, you know, swelling and whatnot, but that's sort of the end symptom that's most palpable right. to the patient. But we know what that might be doing in terms of immune function and, and other problems as well. Yeah. So how does it connect to our toxic exposure? Is that overloading the lymphatic system, which is trying to kind of clean up the trash? Yeah. Well, it's a great question because it can kind of go one way or the other. So if, you know, if you've got a high body burden of toxins, you know, which some people have a higher sensitivity to toxins, some of us yeah. just kind of roll through life and, you know, don't have many issues. But if you are one of the sort of canaries in the coal mine, which a lot of the patients that we work with are, and I'm sure your listeners yes. as well, you know, if you've got exposures to molds and food triggers and all types of toxins that are endocrine disruptors, the laundry list of everything, but then yes. also infections. I mean, so pathogens, various pathogens, Lyme, all the co-infections with that, viruses, mycoplasmas, they can all actually overwhelm the lymph over time as well. So sometimes if you've had a case of Lyme disease and you're struggling with that, that can impede the health of your lymphatic system. But it's also been shown that if your lymphatic system is sluggish, that you're more susceptible to long-term chronic problems with clearing infections from the body. It can really go both ways. Right. Yeah. And when you're talking about it like that, Dr. Nash, I can see in my mind's eye a lot of the triggers that impact our lymphatic system and the lymphatic flow. Are there other specific triggers that might happen 
either genetically or in early stages of life that are going to impact our lymph? I guess when you go back to the galt and the malt, it's that early disruption in the microbiome as well. Absolutely. I mean, I had a youngish patient that had a case of food poisoning and developed dysbiosis and chronic nausea. And we did an, an ultrasound, abdominal ultrasound, and he he did have mesenteric lymphadenitis. And like, definitely there's all kinds of interconnections between the microbiome and the that whole ecosystem's ability to eliminate waste. I mean, that's why the lymph is so present around the gastrointestinal system, obviously, because that's our major <laughs> way that we get exposed to food and other toxins from the outside environment and the way that we eliminate our waste. Yes. So yeah, and and there can also be, you know, even things like chronic sinusitis and chronic skin issues, eczema, all of that can be connected to a congested lymph system as well. You also mentioned, Dr. Nash, that there's no clear testing and you've said several times about palpating. Can you talk a little bit more about how we know or don't know? I mean, I'm always of the mind that we don't necessarily need to know with something like the lymph that we need to support it. But what's your perspective on what we look at, how we know, and then let's get into what we do from there? Totally. So one other just note that I want to make, because I know your audience is practitioners, and you may have had this experience in practice where you've had a patient who, you know, did a detox program, maybe not, hopefully not under your guidance, but like ordered something online or whatever, you know, like, um, and and then they got worse. And that's because the lymph is just translocating the toxins to a different area of the body and making things more complicated and mucked up. But yes, so I do a lot of palpation, but again, given the last couple of years, I'm doing lots more telemedicine and I don't always have the person in my office. But one of the ways that I evaluate the lymphatic health is through whole body regulation thermography, which I've been doing for about a decade. And it is one of the major reasons that I got so fascinated by the lymph because It measures 120 points from, you know, your sinuses, the dentals, all the lymph points in the neck and in under the clavicle. And then it does 32 points on the breasts. And we haven't even gotten to women's health and breast health. But I know yeah. a lot of people <laughs> <in> <laughs> lymphatic, lymphatic channels, you know, are hugely important for breast health. But anyway, this system really can help me evaluate the state of a patient's lymphatic system. And you're right, Andrea, you don't need to have that. I mean, I treat the lymph regardless of whether the person has had one of these thermographies or had the ability to be palpated by somebody that can really do that kind of subtle work. But a lot of the people that I see, like they've already identified for themselves that their lymph system is a problem. You know, they have chronically swollen lymph nodes, or as I mentioned earlier, like chronic sore throats, or maybe they had their tonsils removed. Maybe they had, you know, tonsillitis a lot as a child or even as an adult. And, you know, that's all immune tissue. I mean, the tonsils are basically giant lymph nodes in your neck. And then also history, like if they've had a lingering infection, you know, a problem clearing a pathogen of any kind, you know, because we all have virus exposure, if not bacterial as well. So, you know, how that person's immune system was able to clear that or not may be related to the lymph. So I'm always looking for clues. And I'm also looking at all those mucosal membranes, because if 
they do have, you know, chronic gut issues, then, you know, there's really very few people that I'm not doing something about the lymph or at least talking about the lymph with them. And one of the things that is a major sort of, I I wouldn't call it an etiology exactly, because it's not that specific, but, you know, you mentioned, can there be genetic issues? And I've looked into that and there's, you know, there's some like anatomical genes, et cetera, but there's really not much in that way. The biggest, biggest thing is a sedentary lifestyle. Being active is the most important thing for the health of your lymphatic system. Yeah. And it makes sense. You were talking about the muscle, right? So even the building of muscle, and if we think about aging as a trigger in and of itself and sarcopenic states, so we can see how there's this sort of confluence that comes if we're sedentary throughout life. Yeah. And this is why things like, you know, there's been that research about rebounding and the, you know, uh, lower incidence of breast cancer for women that rebound even five minutes a day, that's moving your lymph. Like anytime you're getting that contraction around those delicate vessels. And of course, manual therapies are wonderful too. And if you get a really good skilled, you know, either an MLD, manual lymphatic drainage therapy, or even as I mentioned earlier, just working with the connective tissue and freeing up the delicate vessels to have the lymph flow more freely can be wonderfully therapeutic for people. Are there certain nutrients that actually support lymphatic flow? That's a great question. You know, I haven't found as much in the way of specific nutrients, but, you know, obviously if you've got inflammation and things that are impeding the lymphatic vessels, then you'd want to address those underlying issues. But what has been shown, you know, for however many thousands of years that humans have been using plant medicine is that there are a lot of herbals that are specific for moving the lymph and actually even different herbs have a specific affinity for different parts of the lymphatic system. And I oftentimes think about, you know, does this person have more of an upper lymph issue where she's got, you know, sore breasts before her period and had a history of maybe of mastitis if she ever, you know, breastfed or lots of axillary lymph swelling, facial puffiness, that kind of thing, or throat issues versus someone who has more ankle swelling and lower body pain and they've been more, you know, sedentary and it's hard for them to exercise without having, you know, a lot of weakness or or heaviness in the lower body. So sometimes I'll think about that. And I also do complex homeopathy. So I think about different homeopathic complexes for the upper lymph versus the lower lymph. And when we think about upper lymph and lower lymph from an herbal perspective, because I know the homeopathy is going to be very individual, are there certain herbs that are your go-tos for each of those areas? So for the breasts, I mean, I'll have women get phytolacca oil or poke root oil and sometimes add even a little bit of, there's some great essential oils that are beneficial. I like holy basil. There's turmeric essential oil, which we know is just fantastic for all types of inflammation. So phytolacca, the plant itself, poke root is wonderful for the upper body. Trifolo is also, red clover is also amazing for breast health. Red root is kind of one of the ones that sort of staggers the upper and lower. 
For the lower body, I think more about like the liver ones, like burdock, yellow dock, prickly ash, figwort is also a little bit more one of the ones I think about systemically. And just to, I know this is like nitpicking or whatever, but I just want to make it clear to your audience. Like I don't use, I do use single homeopathics, but the way I use homeopathy is much more on an organ system level. So there are some sort of go-tos that have a lot of these plants that I just mentioned in them, but in homeopathic form, but also actually have lymphatic tissue and sarcodes and things like that. So there, it's not quite as individualized as like, you know, classical homeopathy. I don't have to take a four hour interview to figure out which, (laughs) which lymphatic. Yeah, that was not for me. Um, so, uh, I moved into a different direction with, with the way I do homeopathy. So it's a little bit more physiologically based. Yeah, I love that. And it brings in your individual, what you're interested in, which we should all be doing following that path. I want to talk about what you're interested in before I let you go, which is that connection between the lymph and the hormones. And you've spoken about the breast. Any other connections that we should be thinking about there when it comes to that node of hormones and neurotransmitters? Yeah, there's been some research that was done in 2014, and I really wish there'd be more because this is not sort of borne out entirely in the scientific community. But we do know that lymphatic fluid is highly nonpolar, so it's attracted to more fatty substances. And all steroid hormones are somewhat hydrophobic, but the further mm-hmm. you get down the biochemical steroid pathway from the you know parent fat cholesterol the more polar the hormones are. Therefore, estrogen is more polar than progesterone. And the idea is that, and the research that was done, even though it was limited, did bear this out. That means that the lymphatics may attract progesterone more readily. And because estrogen excess or inflammatory estrogen is such an issue for so many women, I think it's really important to think about the connection between a healthy functioning lymphatic system being able to move progesterone around in the body more effectively. That's the idea. And also, this may be why the topical application of progesterone, where the lymphatic vessels are located, may result in sort of higher than normal levels reaching the tissues. So, you know, you want to be careful in terms of the way you're supporting progesterone. But yes, that's part of the reason why I think there is that connection. And also, we do know that the presence of progesterone in the lymphatic system also stimulates bile salt secretion, which is, you know, bile salt so important for digestion, obviously, but also helping the body mitigate some of the effects of estrogen excess as well. So you need healthy bile and gallbladder function to manage your estrogen progesterone balance as well. Such a rich conversation, Dr. Nash. I really appreciate your wisdom and how you bring our attention back to the lymphatic system as a way to support the full body systems. Thank you for spending some time with us today. So happy to be here. Thank you so much. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. 
You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 